This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast today is Vijay Shatur, co-founder and CEO of BlueShift. Once every few years, sort of a technology matures to a point where non-technical people can start using it. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it really unlocks a lot of enterprise value. What's happening is that you and I as consumers, we are interacting with all these brands on digital and mobile and social And when we do that, we are leaving behind a thousand times more data than we used to leave behind 10 years ago. With all the data we are leaving behind, marketers and brands now for the first time have a way of understanding us as the dynamic individuals that uh, that we've always been. But doing that is exciting, but it's also challenging because, you know, dealing with thousand times more data, dealing with 10 to 50 times more channels, that is very difficult for marketers and obviously humans are not best equipped to to operate at that scale. Humans are great at guiding sort of uh, how that engagement should be driven, how that engagement should be humanized, but the machine can really come in and help the human marketer become excellent at, at that scale of decision-making and make each decision truly intelligent. So that's what we do with, with the BlueShift platform. This is Vijay. He has a wealth of experience in AI, marketing technology, and e-commerce domains. He was an early team member and a director of product management at Cosmix, which was acquired by Walmart to become Walmart Labs. In 2010, he then co-founded Portado and led it as the CEO for two years until it was acquired by Groupon, which then became Groupon Goods. And this prepared him for his new venture, BlueShift, which he co-founded in 2014. Vijay is a graduate at the Harvard Business School's MBA program. He also holds a bachelor's and master's degrees in electrical engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay. BlueShifts enables B2C marketeers to automate segment of one marketing on every channel. They're on a mission to put AI in the hands of every marketeer. And this triggered me. Hence, I invited Vijay to my podcast. We explore the transformation of digital marketing and the scaled revenue opportunities that it now provides to companies of all sizes. We also discuss how AI is enabling marketeers to reclaim their creative and strategic role again and create a flywheel of value that is pretty hard to stop once in motion. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, how thinking differently about key customer challenges allows you to build solutions that have transformative impact because of their simplicity. Secondly, that AI alone is not the solution. 
The synergy really kicks in when humans and AI systems are working well together to the extent that it even impresses customers' customers. And thirdly, that to deliver remarkable solutions, you have to stay true to your vision, no matter how enticing the short-term opportunity is. Well, hi, Vijay. Thank you for uh, being on the podcast today and making your time available in uh, your busy schedule. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to be here. I've you know, heard about your vision for this podcast and you know, that's very aligned with how we think. So I'm very excited to be here. Perfect. Perfect. Well, before we get started, it's always an interesting thing for my guests to, to understand a little bit about you. What, what drives you in day-to-day business? What are your passions? What are my passions? I think my passion is around creating something lasting, which has lasting value. You know, I think so that's really what drives me. And, you know, as a startup founder, obviously creating something lasting can, you know, mean obviously creating a company, but then also having very lasting impact on customers, becoming the kind of company that, you know, you know, our employees, our customers, our partners remember for a long, long time. So that's what really drives me in my day-to-day life. Cool. I admire those people. And I, uh, it's a very good well, passion, but, but typically also drive to have. Yes. So uh, <laughs> talking about your company, a company called Blue Shift, you're in the marketing space, marketing automation, or marketing transformation, I mean, should maybe call it. Yeah. What is the big idea behind the company that you founded? Yeah, so Blue Shift is a platform for intelligent customer engagement. So our customers are companies like Lending Tree, BBC, Udacity, and many others. And we help them drive one-to-one engagement with their customers on many, many different channels. So really what's happening is that you and I as consumers, we are interacting with all these brands on digital and mobile and social. And when we do that, we are leaving behind a thousand times more data than we used to leave behind 10 years ago. And we are connecting with these brands on more and more touch points and more channels than we used to 10 years ago. So, you know, if you take yourself back to 10, 15 years ago, you were at one of these brands as a customer engagement marketer, you would think of your customer in a pretty static form. You would think of this is Tom, he lives in this area and so on. And that view of the customer would be pretty static over time. And you would also use one channel, which is predominantly email for engaging your customer. And I think what has happened now is, you know, I think with with all the data we are leaving behind, marketers and brands now for the first time have a way of understanding us as the dynamic individuals that uh, that we've always been. But now they can actually understand us as such and start interacting with us as such. But doing that is exciting, but it's also challenging because, you know, dealing with thousand times more data, dealing with 10 to 50 times more channels, that is very difficult for marketers. So the big idea behind BlueShift was to say, can you use AI to help marketers make all these intelligent customer engagement decisions that scale? And many of these decisions, uh, you know, now you have to make, you know, thousands or often millions of decisions every second on whether or not to, to engage with a certain customer at the second, whether or not to, you know, what offer to show them, what channel to kind of uh, engage them on, should I engage them on email or Facebook custom audiences or WhatsApp or what have you. So that intelligent decision making at scale could be, you know, tens of thousands or millions of decisions per second. And obviously humans are not best equipped to, to operate at that scale. Humans are great at guiding sort of uh, how that engagement should be driven, how that engagement should be humanized, but the machine can really come in and help the human marketer become excellent at, at that scale of decision-making and make each decision truly intelligent. So that's what we do with, with the Blue Shift platform. Okay. 
Yeah, I agree with you that uh, data explosion is absolutely there and it's maybe even longer ago, but that's that's definitely the case. So so what, what do you see as you know, not utilizing this data? What problem is, is that creating or what opportunity are we missing? Yeah, so if you think about it, I think, you know, the companies, you know, every brand is going to have more and more data over time. Mm-hmm. And the brands that succeed with customers are the ones that put that data to work and deliver the right customer engagement. And the brands that don't do that will, will in some sense die. So it's not that, uh, you know, if you think about sort of a blockbuster versus Netflix, it's not that one of them had more data in the early days than the other. But I think one of them started putting that data to work and driving the right experience. And as you drive the, the, the right experience, customers engage even more. That leads to even more data, which leads to even more engagement. And it's a nice flywheel that kind of gets spinning. And that's what propels a brand forward. So if you don't get that flywheel going, you know, your, your brand will die. But if you get that flywheel going, you, you can have a winning brand. So really, that's the opportunity for most companies out there to say, you know, how do I, you know, not just manage this data and sort of like, you know, store it. But how do I put the data to work? How do I delight, engage every customer at every second by putting that data to work on every channel? Yeah. So what you mean at the end is that in the past, everything was static. It was the marketeer that was putting in the journey, putting in a workflow, deciding what type of content goes on the homepage. And now you can do that across various channels in a very dynamic way based on what I'm interested in as a visitor. That's exactly right. And I think if you think about that, you know, I think, you know, it's a very customer centric approach rather than a channel centric approach, right? So instead of saying, you know, I got to send a million emails at 8am and they'll all be the same, you're now, you know, which is a very channel centric or email centric approach. And then somebody else saying, I need to, you know, show these ads on these channels and so on. Now you're getting to a much more customer centric approach, sort of like what you articulated where you're really saying, here's a customer, they're engaging with me as a brand, and all these channels are basically just additional touch points to engage with the customer, but it's still the same customer. How do I keep that entire context of the customer? How do I figure out the right content for them? How do I figure out the right time, the right channel, and delight them uh, at every second? That's another way to think about the opportunity. Yeah, I can see that happening. It's, it's something that I'm working on myself as well, or I actually am experiencing myself as well. And I agree with you that... The moment you, you start doing that and you have that, that engagement going, then a lot of things start to happen. You really start to create that flywheel. And I think that, that is the most important part because then it's unstoppable. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, but my podcast at the end is about the kind of the value we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. That's so right. Now that you have, now you have the, 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 the AI working for you, deciding in milliseconds, what should be presented to what type of visitor, depending on the, the channel and the moment they're, they're, they're looking at things. So how does that, that lift the job, the job profile or the, the, the responsibilities of a marketeer? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And if you think about it, it would be good to have some historical perspective on, on this, because if you think about it, marketers are at heart creative individuals and they're very strategic individuals, right? So they are creative, they want to start thinking about sort of how to engage customers in a very creative form. They understand the business strategy. But over the last maybe 10 or 15 years, a set of technologies came in, which really forced marketers to become more like button clickers who are basically, you know, with the promise of automation, they just started becoming operations individuals, right? Uh And you had to kind of click a bunch of buttons to, to do 
to do things which at the end of the day were not truly creative or truly strategic, right? So sure. I think it transformed the marketer from being this very creative, very strategic individual who thinks about the customer to someone who's just punching a bunch of buttons and a bunch of supposedly, uh, you know, so-called sort of automation systems. And I think with the power of the AI sort of combining with that creative marketer, now the opportunity for marketers to reclaim that sort of the, the creative thinking and, and start getting back into the role of that of a storyteller, right? But I think what the AI is now doing is helping scale the stories to millions of versions which are delivered at the right time to the right customer, right? So the shell of the story, the outline of the story, the 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 creative parts of the story are all still controlled by the marketer, right? Yeah. But, you know, when that story should be delivered to me versus when it should be delivered to you, those moments should be different. And that, you know, that's something the machines can help sort of decide the specific content that can be plugged in into tweaking the story to make it optimal for me versus tweaking it to make it optimal for you and for millions of other people. That is something that the machine and the AI can help decide. So really, I think there's a great role for the machines, uh, the AI and, and the creative marketer to work together. And if, if done right, it puts marketer back in control of the strategy and the creative, which arguably was taken away from them with tools that were forcing them to just uh, you know click a lot of buttons without without being very strategic or very creative. Yeah, I agree with that. It's putting the, the, the marketeer in the, in the role of the robot. <laughs> so. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because I think you want to liberate that marketer. And the other sort of thing to think about is, you know, if you, you know, I really believe that if, you know, every, once every few years, sort of a technology matures to a point where non-technical people can start using it. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, it really unlocks a lot of enterprise value. Let me make a small interruption here. Vijay just made an excellent remark about how he is leveraging technology to unlock remarkable value for his customers. And you get even more insights from him in the remainder of this interview. However, if you want to get some fresh guidance about what you can do to make your software business both remarkable and impactful, just drop me a note at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. Right, and we've seen this play out with few different types of technologies maybe at some point you know you could not even build a basic website without being technical but i think obviously now a lot of very creative folks are able to use tools and and start building the right websites that tell the right story and i think if you think about sort of the use of ai and marketing is sort of going in the same direction where the technology start evolving to a point where you know non-technical people especially marketers especially creative marketers can start using it and whenever that happens with any technology, I think that unlocks pretty transformational business value, right? And, yep. you know, I strongly believe that the use of AI by marketers is going to be one of these waves. And, you know, when a lot of enterprise value gets unlocked, then it's going to have a pretty revolutionary effect on, uh, on businesses. Yeah, great. Great. So when did you start uh, Blue Shift? We started Blue Shift about four years ago and I started this with two other co-founders and you know just quick backstory so before founding Blue Shift uh, the three of us had worked together for for about eight years so it's a very long time and we first came together working at a company called AI company called Cosmics way back in the day and that company got acquired by Walmart and became Walmart Labs and after that we started a company which was an early pioneer in social e-commerce called Mercado. And that company got uh, acquired by Groupon and became Groupon Goods, 
which is a pretty substantial part of the Groupon business. And really the reason I kind of mentioned Groupon and Walmart is that, you know, the problem we are helping address today with BlueShift, we saw this firsthand at companies like Groupon and Walmart. And we saw the nature of, you know, nature of sort of uh, how customers are engaging with brands change and how sort of the tools that were built for yesterday's context, you know, started failing the marketers. We were seeing this firsthand and that's what inspired us to, to create BlueShift. Okay, yeah, but that was my next question. When did the conversation start? What was the spark? Right. Exactly <laughs> so, so in those four years, I'm always interested to see how things have evolved. And so what do you believe are is the top, the top one thing or the top three things that, that makes your product remarkable? Yes, I think the thing that makes the product remarkable is finally the ease with which a non-technical marketer can can drive true one-to-one engagement. So we talk about it as putting AI in the hands of marketers. But the way that comes together, I think the reason we're able to put AI in the hands of marketers is that we have a system which, number one, really understands and models your data. Number two, you know, that data, we, we are continuously, like every second, we are mining that for intelligence. And number three, we have a decision system, which is making a decision on whether to send an email, obviously guided by the, by the marketer, send an email, send, you know, Facebook ad, engage on WhatsApp, send a chatbot message, making all these decisions guided by the marketer. And all these things are tightly coupled and the title, tight coupling enables the marketer to truly sort of tame all that data. and the tight coupling also enables a real-time decisioning on such such vast amount of data. So if you think about sort of you and I as consumers, again, you know, we want to be delighted by that experience when we are a customer of a bank, when we swipe a, you know, credit card, you know, at a, at a coffee shop. And in that instant, if we sort of, or, you know, the next instant, we start, you know, suddenly seeing a push notification from a bank which says, well, you might be interested in this, you know, offer we have with uh, with this coffee chain. Those could be very interesting, remarkable sort of real-time kind of engagement. We make that, I think the truly remarkable thing about BlueShift platform is that we make it easy for a non-technical marketer without IT resources, without like, a, you know, a lot of data science resources to be able to deliver those kind of ex- experiences, measure them, launch them quickly, and, and have full control of delivering these kind of experiences. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So on that, on that journey, one of the things that Steve Jobs used to say, you know, innovation is not about what you do, but it's more about what you don't do, where you say no to. Were there any of those moments for you? That's a great question. I think obviously, you know, being, you know, we are a startup, so we, we are always ruthlessly kind of prioritizing, right? And we are, we, you know, we are sort of, when we do that, we are saying no to a lot of things. But I think the general framework is really about, about saying, how do you stay true to the vision, right? And how do you say no to things that, that might have a short-term opportunity, right? But are not incremental to that vision, right? So for example, you know, I talked about how the elements, core elements of our vision, really about encouraging marketers to think about putting the customer at the center, the sort of channel at the center, to become truly, you know, to drive engagement in real time versus sort of a batch, right? Instead of just that blast email that gets sent out at a certain time to think about sort of engaging customers in real time and to move from uh, one-to-one personalization instead of of sort of engaging every customer the same way. So these are the core tenets that sort of drive all the decisions. And as long as we stay true to them and say, you know, are we making product investments? Are we making 
you know, other investments in the company in terms of, uh, you know, where our sales and marketing is going, you know, what we are working on with customers, if we are staying true to sort of these core ideas, you know, that's kind of the framework for how we make the decisions. So, so I thought that would be useful to share with your audience. <laughs> what was the toughest decision you made so far that helped you to really kind of step, step up or maybe became your tipping point? You know, I think there's, you know, I would say, and this maybe goes to the core of sort of how startup sort of, you know, becomes bigger over time and serves like a bigger part of the market, right? So on day one, you, you know, when we started the company, you obviously just have, you know, some PowerPoint and some basic idea. And maybe like, you know, we started with one customer. So we always had one customer. And obviously the, you know, now we have, we, we serve like a very big part of the market and so on. So at every point, I think the decisions are, are slightly different because on the very first day, you're really trying to prove, you know, the very basic questions which are unanswered, right? Which is about whether can you build, can you even build such a product? Can you, you know, can this fit in nicely with the marketer's workflow and things of that sort, right? And then you start tackling the next set of questions. Once you've tackled those and you've proven the answers to those, you you start tackling the next set of questions around, do you, you know, does this thing have a viable kind of business model around this? Is there a is there a certain kind of form of pricing that makes sense? Are there certain integrations in the ecosystem which kind of make sense? And that really helps you sort of, you know, become viable to the next level. And then when you start, you when you, you know, iterated and answered those questions, then the next set of questions or decisions start becoming, well, how do you kind of, you know, start scaling this? And how do you, you know, you have happy customers. How do you take that happiness and, you know, get in front of more and more customers and start making decisions about, sort of the, uh, you know, go-to-market scaling. So I would say, I don't think of it as sort of like one big decision, but, but at any point in time, there is definitely one big decision. So we've had multiple such big decisions or iterations at every point in time. We have a thing, you know, our core values in the company, we have five of them. But the first one is really make new mistakes. So we talk about having that constant sort of learning mindset, you know, always, always trying new things, but also learning from what we've already done and, and sort of making those new mistakes. So we encourage people to try new things. So I think, you know, sort of thinking about sort of, you know, those big decisions and sort of, you know, thinking back and thinking that I was omniscient in some ways and saying this one decision that I made sort of change the course of the company this way or the other. I think of it more as a, you know, set of proof points that we needed to build and the set of iterations and the, and the mistakes we made which, you know, before we found sort of the right answer, if that makes sense, and keeping that spirit of making your mistakes, you know, keeping that spirit alive. I yeah, agree. I saw it on your website. It's good that you yeah. publish those two values there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, what always intrigues me is, uh, is the, whole, the whole discussion around business models, pricing models. Well, they don't, they don't have to go together, but of, often they do. Did you do anything special around, around pricing? Are you maybe, for example, pricing around outcomes rather than output? Yeah, so I think the, you know, because we encourage our customers to sort of think of a customer-centric approach rather than a channel-centric approach. You know, a lot of our pricing, unlike unlike a lot of the legacy vendors in the space, is probably around sort of that notion of the the customer at the center. So that is maybe something that's different in in how we think about about the value. And, you know, that, that is really also, that also helps our customers understand that the value of this platform is about activating customer data and finally activating customers and not about, you know, thinking channel centric and think about sending an email or showing a specific Facebook ad, if that makes sense. True. Yeah, exactly. It's the combination of those things. Uh, yeah. 
So these are not an individual modules. It's about the customer that you're talking about. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely other modules and so on, but I think we always kind of keep the, the customer at the center. So that is a very critical part, part of how we think about the whole business and how we think about the value. Yeah, well, the reason why I ask is I, I remember I was talking to, to another CEO of another company. I forgot his name, actually, or I forgot the, kind of the, the specific interview. I'm doing so many. And they were actually pricing by engagement rather than clicks. Right. So that's an interesting one as well. But yeah, okay. So, so in, the, in the process of kind of releasing your product to market and, and getting your first sale, sales, what did you experience? What did you learn from the sales phase? Because this, this, of course, is an area that's pretty new. It's, it's pretty disruptive. It's, it's, it's yeah. a completely new way of thinking. That's exactly right. No, I think, you know, a couple of interesting things. So one is, you know, obviously, you know, AI is better, you know, AI gets better only when there is a lot of, you know, basically it just gets better with more and more data, right? So essentially, and sort of taking that holistic view of the data. So we, you know, when we sort of did our sales, one of the things we encourage customers now and what we experienced early on was really saying that, you know, how do you start thinking about sort of, how do you start thinking about sort of the, the gains from your data, and I think it was sort of the analogy of cars. I talk about how cars are moving from being driver assist to, to self-driving. And yeah. the reason, you know, that's, that can happen now is, you know, because there's a massive amount of map data, street, da- street view data that helps the AI in the car sort of anticipate all the possible scenarios and make a decision in real time. Similarly, I think in the world of marketing, it's very important to tap into all sources of customer data. And, you know, and as we went into the market, we started you know, start to really deeply understanding sort of all the data silo issues, help marketers kind of solve them. Yeah. And along with that also, I think the other sort of thing that became interesting and, and, you know, is an interesting learning and an opportunity is, you know, from day one, we started thinking about data security and, you know, privacy in a, in a very systematic, holistic manner. And obviously that was a very big investment for us to make as an early stage company at that stage. But I think that has really now paid off because, you know, we have some, you know, public companies or financial institutions trusting us with, with some interesting data, with some very deep data, which obviously we take uh, very good care of and we, we are very good st- stewards of that data. And we also, not only do we comply with some of the existing sort of regulations like GDPR, we also help our customers become compliant. So we have started building tools for, for them to sort of start becoming compliant. So I think these are some of the learnings we started getting in the market because, you know, obviously we talk a lot about AI, but AI is only as good as the data. And when you start thinking about the data, bring it all together, making, you know, doing it in a secure fashion, all of that starts becoming very, very important. You know, and that's how, you know, as we went to market, we sort of learned all of this and we've incorporated all of that uh, into our product. Yeah, exactly. You can actually start to identify also where the data gaps are. One of the, one of the vendors I, I talked to, sales choice, uh, Cindy Gordon, she actually uh, is, is yeah, alerting their customers about where the, where the gaps are. And with that information, they can now say, okay, well, if this information becomes even better, then you get even more value out of the solution. And that is actually a trigger for salespeople to keep their CRM data up to date. So That's it's, exactly it's, right. It's working, it's working both ways then. That's exactly right, yeah. It becomes That's a carrot. Right. Yeah. So, so what are you most proud of achieving so far? I mean, is there an anecdote for a customer or tell me? One of the yeah, things, for me. example... One of the things I saw, which I would be pretty proud of, is that you're a cool vendor 2018 for Gardner. 
<laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So I think there's definitely what we're proud of is ultimately about making our customers, like the brands we work with, uh, successful with their customers who are end consumers like you and me, right? And that when we do that, that leads to recognition from, from the Gartners of the world. So we are very excited about that. But specifically around customers, I think, you know, we, you know, help them track obviously success along a few different dimensions. Mm-hmm. And you might think that the obvious dimensions are things like how much revenue lift they got, which which we help them track. And we released like a report two months back, which was called the ROI of AI. And many yeah. of our customers raised their hand and said, look, I got a 100% revenue lift. I got like a 81% lift and so on. And these these are pretty meaningful, dramatically, you know, significant kind of numbers. So, so definitely we are very proud of that. But I would say one, what I'm even more proud of is the impact, you know, that these brands are having on their end consumers. So I think one of our customers, Skillshare, had done a webinar with us a few months back. And in the course of that, what they talked about was that, you know, that their users have noticed the difference of AI-powered engagement, right? So they started talking about how their end customers, you know, have, you know, have responded with higher NPS scores and very positive references to to sort of this new form of customer engagement, which is one to one. And yeah. when that starts happening, that is the that's the ultimate you know thing that we are really proud of because in the end we are about helping these marketers connect with their customers and drive that true one to one engagement. So I would say if I have to pick one thing I'm most proud of, maybe maybe that is the one. But obviously I'm also proud of the revenue lift we have driven, the recognition yeah. we have gotten from the partners of the world, and and a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, at the end, it's about relevancy. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I was for one of my customers. I did some study uh, last 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 month, and I bumped into a report from Interbrand, and they released. So, what what of the what are the top ten fastest growing brands, and why are they so growing so fast? And it happened to be that these brands were growing so fast because they had relevancy and and responsiveness as their top top drivers, top top levers, so to say. That's a great way to talk about it because I think earlier in this podcast, we talked about the flywheel from that customer yeah. engagement. And and I think it's the same point in some ways, if you are relevant in your engagement, then customer engage with you. Each engagement creates more data. And then if you can feed that data through that responsiveness back into the customer engagement, if you're responsive to that and the next engagement becomes even smarter, then that flywheel kind of keeps going. So I think the two points you're making about relevancy and the responsiveness, I think really tie nicely back into what we were talking about earlier. Exactly. So I'm writing a book about the 10 traits of becoming a remarkable software business. What do you believe are, are the things that a remarkable software business needs, needs to have? One or two things. You know, I think that's a, firstly, it's a great effort. I'm glad you're sort of, you're sort of writing about this. So I think when I think about sort of, you know, the, when I think about a great uh, software business, I think the, the one thing which not just software businesses, but any business should have is really, uh, you know, it, that the customer, the business itself, itself should be relevant to its customers, right? And relevant in a pretty transformational way rather than, a, than an incremental way, if, that, if you will. So I would say like one of the biggest things, biggest traits of like software businesses, like are you truly transformative or you sort of, you know, building something that's next generation versus incrementally improving. So that's sort of number one. I would say number two is really, you know, and this is something I've personally had to learn over time. Number two is really about simplicity, right? 
So even if you're being transformational, can you sort of, from a product point of view and how you approach the market, how you integrate with the customer's ecosystem, can you bring an element of simplicity, you know, which, which makes it, you know, which truly delivers that value to the customer? So you can, uh, one is sort of, you know, build a product which can have transformational value. But secondly, I think, you know, as you sort of connect that product with your customers' lives and your their ecosystems, bring an element of simplicity, which unlocks that value. So I would say those are the sure. two things I think about. There's definitely a lot more we can talk about over time. And I'm curious to hear, you know, what will make your final top 10 list. But maybe I would offer these couple of things as a start. Well, that's good. I mean, and definitely part of what I'm writing about, because these are extremely important things. Maybe I'm yeah. describing them a little bit in a different way, but at the end, that's the essence. Yeah. So from all the, the things that you've learned so far in the last four years and, and being in the, in the business for a far longer time, what would you advise CMOs or, or C-level well, leaders in a, in a company? What do you advise them to, to do different or to think different, given the yeah. art of the possibility these days? Yes, I think, you know, I talked about a bunch of this in terms of putting sort of the customer at the center of your strategy instead of the uh, the channel. So I think that's maybe the starting point. But as you think about that, the role of AI becomes very critical. And then you start thinking, okay, what do I need to really unlock the value of AI? So I think specifically on that front, the two pieces of advice I give to CMOs, one is, you know, going back to the idea that your AI is only as good as the data it's receiving. So talking about investing in investing in sort of systems that you know that can you know bring together the right amount of data, capturing mm-hmm. the data, yeah. and and you know so that's that's sort of number one. But second, I think going back to the idea that the value of that data and the value of the AI doesn't get unlocked until you have these creative, non-technical marketers kind of using it. I think if you go back to that idea, really for for the creative marketers to use it, the non-technical marketers to use it you have to make the AI explainable. So I think the other thing I talked to CMOs who are thinking about their AI journey is about investing in AI systems which are explainable because then you can actually help the human understand sort of how the AI is going to make a decision and then how do they collaborate with the AI, which also goes back to sort of your purpose and point behind the podcast, right? I think the real synergies only come in when the humans and uh, and the AI systems are working well. True. And for that to happen, you know, for them to work together, you have to make the AI truly explainable. So that's another thing I talk to CMOs about saying, you know, when you invest in AI system, make sure you pick something that's explainable, make sure you pick something that your non-technical marketers can understand and un- unlock value from. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic that has been coming up a couple of times, the black box. And it, may yeah. be, it might be more important in certain industries rather than others. For example, I had a couple of good examples in the industry of auditing. And yeah. there, if it's not explainable, you know, if, you have to, if you've made a decision at some point in time or a decision has been made and you have to explain it from a legal perspective, maybe in court, you know, right. then you have a big problem. I, th- I don't think that's the case with marketing. <laughs> Hopefully not. But yeah, but I think it's still, I think, you know, I think the you know you, you're talking about more explaining kind of after the fact, whereas in marketing, I think maybe the explanation will help sort of almost before sort of launching the nature of the engagement with customers. So in some ways, if marketers can review the AI, 
look at how it might make decisions going forward and then kind of layer in their own logic, their own sort of brand strategy, their own, you know, revenue strategy on top of that, you know, that, that they can only layer that in once they understand what the AI is going to do. So that's where the explainability sort of comes into play, just slightly different from the analogy you used, but equally important, I would say. It needs to be explainable point. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So what is next for you? What is your greatest aspiration? You know, I think really in terms of what's next for us, you know, we could describe it at a few different levels. So I think, you know, obviously there's a lot more work for our mission is obviously far from complete. I think, you know, we, we want to put AI in the hands of every marketer. So, you know, we, we are far from being done on that. So there's a lot more work in terms of our mission. So there's, and some of that is at the level of like, you know, you know, enabling the product to address other kinds of use cases, start modeling newer types of data. Some of it is really in, in, in terms of getting, getting uh, blue shift in the hands of more and more marketers. But really what's next, I think simplistically, you can think about sort of marching towards that vision, which is AI in the hands of every marketer. Well, that's a, a bold vision to have, by the way. Yeah. I mean, is there any segmentation that you have in the company? I mean, what com- companies are you targeting? Uh, is it Fortune 500? Is that mid-markets? Maybe uh, SME? Yeah, that's a great question. I think today we are we work primarily with, or actually almost entirely with the B two C companies. So I think we, okay. uh, you know, in terms of our data models, we, you know, today we don't support sort of B two B companies as well. I think, but B two C companies are focused. But within B two C, we span a full spectrum. We work with, you know, personal finance companies. We work with yeah. media companies. We work with retail companies. We work with travel companies. So pretty much all kinds of consumer brands, you know, are sort of companies that we sort of work with and. Typically, I would say they are mid-sized to to large companies. You know, we don't necessarily exclude a lot of companies, but there is certainly a point in a company's evolution when it probably doesn't have sufficient scale of data or, you know, and and things like that. But but I would say a vast majority of companies are finding that there is, they do have that amount of data. We work with a lot of young startups who are, you know, who are obviously in the early stages of building their company. Yeah. And we work with some very mature late stage public companies as well. So it spans, you know, the good news is that across that full spectrum, you will see that, you know, marketers and brands are deriving that value and we are able to deliver that value across that entire spectrum. <laughs> okay. Well, work to do then. Absolutely. Yeah. So if there's anything that's, that you could ask the audience, what would it be? How can they help you? You know, I think, you know, they can help us by almost helping themselves, right? So I think starting to think about, you know, you know, truly investing in that next level of customer engagement, moving from channel centric to customer centric, moving from, you know, batch and blast to real time and one to one. And if they philosophically start saying, you know, that's the direction we want to move, which obviously helps them over time, our belief is that that'll also create a bigger and better opportunity for us. So I think, you know, I wouldn't, that's kind of what I would ask of the audience really think about sort of how do you delight your customer in the process sort of drive your own brand. And to the extent it's, it's helpful for you, if we can be a meaningful partner in that journey, we would love to be that. Okay, very good. Last question then, where can people go to find out more about BlueShift or, or connect with you? Well, they can go to blueshift.com. We have a lot of resources on our website and they can definitely connect with me. They can, you know, even shoot me an email. My first name, V-I-J-A-Y at blueshift.com or find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. And I'm looking forward to connecting with the uh, audience uh, of this podcast. Perfect. Thank you very much. This was really inspiring, uh, Vijay. 
And uh, I like, you. your, I like your vision and your drive around uh, transforming the marketing space. Thank you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. The pleasure was fully on my side, Vijay. And I hope the same was true for everybody else. So for those of you that are listening today, thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Vijay Shitur, co-founder and CEO of BlueShift. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.